listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. The scripture reading today is from Mark 10, verses 46 through 50. They came to Jericho. And as he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and said, Call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, My teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the way. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks for that reading, Cindy. So this past Friday, um, we had Guy's Game Night here at the church. It was a lot of fun. Who all came out to that? Give a whoop. It was more than that. There were, there were a number of people. It was, it was awesome. It was awesome to see you all. Um, I played euchre for the very first time, although I still have no idea how to play euchre. Um, but that was that was fun. Um, we had we had a really good um, spread of uh, treats that people brought. There were uh, chips, Oreos. Dick Avery made a dip. Um, I brought a sixty-piece McNugget. So it was it was a it was a low-calorie night. It was it was it was fun. Um, if you weren't here, if you missed that, um, definitely want to come out to the next one. Uh, next guy's game night is Friday, July 8th. Um, it's going to be fun. Um, we're going to dive right into our passage for today, and we're wrapping up Mark chapter 10 today. Uh, this is a pretty short passage, a pretty stor- a short story, the healing of Bartimaeus, um, but it's actually a pretty important one. There's a lot going on here. There's a lot of easy-to-miss stuff in this story that makes it a really important part of Mark's gospel. Um, Like, for example, this is the last healing story we get in the gospel of Mark. Anyone know that? This is the last one. Like, through this whole book, We've seen Jesus heal people over and over again. He's cast out demons, uh, raise the dead, give sight to the blind. And this is the last one. This is the last healing story in Mark's gospel. Jesus does have one more big trick up his sleeve for the very end of the book. Not going to spoil it, but uh, we'll, we'll see it when we get there. It's a pretty good, it's a pretty good one. Um, but this is the last healing story. This is the last time Jesus heals someone else. This passage is also a pretty big transition in the storyline of Mark's gospel. Uh, For a number of weeks now, we've had all these stories with Jesus and the disciples. We've seen Jesus uh, teaching the disciples, instructing them, correcting them, taking them up to mountaintops. We've seen the disciples do and say some really dumb stuff. (laughs) But this story wraps up sort of this discipleship section of the book. From here on out, we're headed to the cross. That's where this is going. 
Uh, we're told right at the beginning that um, Jesus encounters Bartimaeus as he's leaving Jericho. That's the setting for this story. That's another reminder that we are on our way to Jerusalem where Jesus is going to die. Um, I actually got a map up here to help us out with this. Um, so if you look at this map, Jesus is from Galilee. It's the region up in the north. It's the sticks, basically, you know, the, the boonies. Nothing good comes out of Galilee. But that's where the bulk of Jesus' ministry is, is done. That's where he spends most of his time. It's his home base. But for a while now, Jesus and the disciples have been making their way down to Jerusalem. And when you travel from Galilee to Jerusalem, generally you're going to go right along the Jordan River, right? Head south on the Jordan, hang a right at Jericho, and you're in Jerusalem. This miracle, this healing happens as Jesus is leaving Jericho, so he's almost there. We're almost to the cross. So the story stands out for a number of reasons. It's the last of Jesus' healings. It's this important pivot point in the storyline. The healing of Barnabas, though, is also important. It's unique because it's filled with all these little unique details, things that happen just in this story that don't happen anywhere else. Go ahead, like, uh, maybe two slides. There we go. Perfect. There's all these little unique things that happen here. Uh, for one, we get Bartimaeus's name. That's a little different. Uh, most of the time in these healing stories, we never get the names of the people Jesus is healing. It's always just like the man with the withered hand or um, the woman with a bleeding condition, Jairus's daughter. We almost never get the names of these folks Jesus is healing, but we get this guy's name. This is Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, not to be confused with all the other Bartimaeuses you know. <laughs> but no, this is Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. That's like his first and last name, which is interesting. Another interesting little detail in this story is that Bartimaeus calls Jesus the son of David. Um, son of David is a political title, and it is explicitly political, like on-the-nose political, even more so than like a title like Messiah or Son of Man, some of these other titles Jesus uses. The son of David is the rightful king of Israel, right? The heir to the throne, the seed of David. When Bartimaeus yells out, Son of David, to Jesus, he's saying, you are the king, not Herod. You're the king that I want, son of David. It's a pretty risky thing to just be screaming by the side of the road. But Mart Bartimaeus does it. He's a bit of a revolutionary. Bartimaeus is ready to see the world turned upside down. But probably the most interesting little detail and the last thing that makes this story a little different is just how this healing goes down. It's a little different from the other healing stories. You've got this blind guy sitting by the side of the road. Um, he hears Jesus coming, so he starts shouting out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus responds by asking him a question. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Now, maybe it wasn't obvious, I don't know, like maybe, maybe Jesus couldn't tell, maybe Jesus didn't know what Bartimaeus wanted. That'd be a little out of character for, for God, right? But like maybe, maybe, maybe it wasn't obvious. So Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? How can I be of service? I went back and checked. I looked through Mark's gospel. Jesus never asks anyone this question. It's only here. This is the only time he asks this. 
Normally, when we get a healing uh, or a miracle, Jesus sees an, a need and he just responds to it. He does it. Um, he commands a demon to come out and it flees. Uh, he tells a paralyzed man, take up your mat and walk, and he does it. The disciples are like, how are we going to feed all these people? And Jesus is like, bring me some bread, right? Like, it's usually like need, answer. But here, before he does anything, Jesus asks a question, what do you want me to do for you? And this question is where we're going to focus today. I think there's a number of things we can pull out of this. There's a number of kind of tidbits and insights that we can get from Jesus asking this question. But the first one we have to look at has to do with the dignity of Bartimaeus. By asking what he can do for him, Jesus is affirming Bartimaeus' dignity. Bartimaeus is a blind beggar. This is a guy sitting on the side of the road asking for scraps from his neighbors. There aren't many less dignified positions you can be in than that. We see this all the time with homeless people in our own country, right? Folks who sit on the sidewalk with a cardboard sign. Or if you drive into Rochester at a lot of the intersections, there's folks who will hang out and and ask for money from the cars while they're waiting for the light to turn green. How many of us have just ignored those people? Pretend like they're not even there. Yeah. You lock your door, look forward, don't look, you know. I've done it. I've certainly done it. Uh, the city where I grew up, Allentown, Pennsylvania, uh, had a lo- has a lot of homeless people. Um, and I used to walk to school every day through some of the poorest neighborhoods in the city. I got really good at a really young age at ignoring homeless people. I remember when I first moved out to Los Angeles back in 2011 for school, um, I had classmates who were from the Midwest and like the suburbs who'd never really seen that level of poverty. And I remember one day I'm walking to class with some friends and they commented on all the homeless people who were camped out. And I hadn't even noticed them. I was like, what are you talking about? There's no, and they, they point and I look behind me and they're right there. I walked a few yards past these human beings and it, I didn't even notice. It was like they... It's like they didn't even exist. That's how blind I was. That's how closed my radar was. Barnabas speaks up. He tries to get Jesus to notice him, to affirm his existence. And the people, his neighbors, just try to shut him up. They try to silence him. Be quiet. The teacher doesn't want anything to do with you. But Bartimaeus, he's a revolutionary, so he just yells louder, right? Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus hears him, he notices him, and he stops everything. Remember where Jesus is going. He's headed to Jerusalem. He's almost there. He's come all this way. He's been walking from Galilee probably for days, but he stops everything. He puts it all on hold because he notices Bartimaeus by the road. Jesus calls him over, and he says, what do you want me to do for you? Do you feel the dignity in that question? Jesus doesn't just notice Bartimaeus. He doesn't just acknowledge his existence. He speaks to him the way a servant would address his master. What do you want me to do for you? How can I help you? How can I be of service to you? Jesus knows the guy is blind. That would have been obvious. 
But there's something Bartimaeus needs even more than eyesight and its dignity. In our own efforts to help the poor, to help those in need, to feed the hungry, ally with those at the margins, how often do we begin by affirming someone's dignity? Like, is that even usually on our radar? It's so easy in our efforts, our good meaning, like well-meaning stuff that we do to try to help others, it's so easy to just strip people of their dignity, to turn them into a, a project, something to work on. Basically dehumanize them and make it about us. But what if we began, what if our, our guiding principle in everything we did as followers of Jesus, as a church, was to begin by affirming the dignity of the people we're trying to serve? Don't just give a dollar to a homeless person you see on the street. Sit down with them and start a conversation. Listen to their story. Learn from them. Acknowledge their humanity. You'll probably be the first person who's done that in a very long time. Every third Sunday of the month here at church, we have a gathering table. It's the free meal that we do for the community. That's what we are raising money for today at noon. We come back for for, um, heavenly desserts. There is a cohort of maybe 30 or so people who come out to that meal every single month from our community, not church members. These are people who depend on it, who need that meal. So next time you come to Gathering Table, which you should be doing every month, by the way, just going to throw that out there, Uh, the next time you come to Gathering Table, help out, yeah, that's great, but don't just help out and leave. Don't, like, grab your meal and then go sit at a table with, like, all your friends from church. Get a meal and sit down. Get to know some of our guests, our patrons who come out here every month, hear their stories, listen to them. That's what it looks like to affirm someone's dignity. Form a relationship. Start a conversation. Jesus affirms Barnabas' dignity, but there's something else we can kind of pull out of this question. Jesus is inviting Bartimaeus to participate in his own transformation, to participate in his own healing. Jesus invites us to participate in our own healing. This is a move from dignity to empowerment. I think a lot of times it's easy to think of healing as something that just happens to us, right? Like, um, It's like we're waiting for it or something, especially when it comes to God, you know, spiritual healing. Um, Eventually, God's going to change my heart. Eventually, God's going to show up and open my eyes. Eventually, God's going to heal me. It sounds like kind of spiritual, right? There's like a, like a, a, a bit of like holiness in that. But it's actually a really passive way to relate to God and to think about our own healing, something that's just going to happen to us eventually. Talk to any doctor, they will tell you that um, healing doesn't happen to you. It's not, healing isn't like a product that gets dispensed at hospitals. That's not how it works. Uh, Medicine helps, treatment helps, doctors help, but the human body does the bulk of the work in healing. Our bodies have to participate. Our bodies have to respond to the treatment for the treatment to work, and then the body does the hard work of healing itself. I think spiritual transformation works the exact same way. Bartimaeus cries out 
for help. Jesus doesn't just respond by healing him, giving it to him. Jesus asks him, what can I do for you? He invites Bartimaeus to respond. He gives him a speaking role. He opens the door for Bartimaeus to participate in his own transformation. What if God is inviting all of us to participate in our own transformation? What if God isn't off somewhere else? You know, and like we're waiting here for God to show up and dispense healing. What if God is already here among us, working on us, waiting for us, inviting us to take an active role in our own transformation? I remember when I was in high school, um, my youth group took a uh, mission trip down to rural West Virginia where we got to build homes for Habitat for Humanity. It was a great mission trip, absolutely awesome experience. I didn't meet Jimmy Carter, um, <clears throat> but you know, you, you can't have everything. Um, <laughs> but I remember, I remember um, at, the, at the work site, there was this guy who was the site supervisor. He would supervise all these teams of, of clueless teenagers who were coming in to build these homes. Uh, and I remember one night this guy told his story and it was hands down the most powerful moment, the most powerful time of the trip. It turns out this guy used to be homeless. He was living in one of the homes in the development that like we were working on. And he had gone through some stuff. He was a recovering alcoholic who had lost everything, lost his job, lost his family, lost all of his money, really made a mess of things, hurt a lot of people. But he got clean. He got sober. Then he got connected with Habitat for Humanity. They built him a house. And then they hired him. They gave him a job when no one else would to come on board and build homes for other people. This guy who had been homeless was now building homes for other people. That is participating in your own transformation. That's what that looks like. How many of us in this room have been through some stuff? You don't have to raise your hands. We won't <laughs> uh, for that one. That's hypothetical. But how many of us have been through some stuff? Maybe you're going through it now. Maybe you're working through some kind of trauma, loss. Could be anxiety, depression, substances, things in your family, all sorts of struggles that we go through. All of us go through some form of these. How might God be calling you to participate in your own transformation? How might God be calling you to take an active role, maybe even connect with other people who are dealing right now with the same stuff you've worked through? We've actually got uh, an exciting new ministry in the works, something that's sort of just coming together. It's in the beginning phases. Um, later this month, on Sunday, June 26th, Lori Way is going to be hosting a get-together here at church for anyone who's had family that's been impacted by addiction. There's more information in your bulletin about this if you, if you want to see more. We've got a number of people in our church, in our community, who have gone through this or seen a family member or a loved one go through this. Lori is trying to get a group together who can kind of talk to each other, support each other through this, learn from each other, share their stories, find some hope, actually participate in their own transformation. Again, there's more info in the bulletin, including Lori's contact info. If that's something you're even vaguely interested, reach out to her, let her know. Because can, can I tell you guys something I've noticed about our church? Can I share something with you all? Some of you have probably noticed it too. You've been here longer than me, most of you. 
It's not the case for everybody here. There are definitely exceptions to this. But by and large, we've got a culture here at our church where we are not very good at letting other people into our stuff. We don't, we don't do it. We kind of keep up a wall. We're not participating in our own transformation very openly. <laughs> Might be a way to put it. We suffer in silence. We don't talk about what's going on. We put on a happy face. We don't share the burdens we're carrying. At most, we might send out like an anonymous prayer request. I can't tell you how often I get anonymous prayer requests sent to me. And I totally get it with like sensitive issues. Obviously, there's some things that you don't want everyone to know. Absolutely, that makes sense. But sometimes I get prayer requests for like needs that like for me, I'm like, this should really be shared. People could be praying for you, coming around you in this. And the response is usually something like, oh no, I don't want to burden anybody. But guys, we're a church. Part of what we do, like the the bulk of our work, is to support each other through these things, heavy things, to be praying for each other, walking with each other. You're not going to get to participate in your own transformation if you bottle it up and keep it secret because you're afraid of burdening someone. And who knows, when you share that prayer request, when you invite help, when you open up for someone else to take part in what you're working through, you might be empowering them to work through their own transformation as well. Amen. Jesus asks us, what would you like me to do for you? He's inviting us to take an active role in our own healing. One more thing. I think we can pull out of this question, and I'll admit this is a bit of a departure from where we've been going so far, but it's still important, and it'll circle back somehow. Um, Jesus' question offers hope for blind disciples. This is so important in kind of understanding the storyline of what Mark's doing in his gospel. For a number of weeks, we've been looking at these stories where it's just abundantly clear that Jesus' disciples aren't getting it. Like, they're not getting the point. They're not tracking. They're missing it. It's only going to get worse, by the way, from here. Um, But over and over again, we've been asking, how are they missing it? How are they so blind? How are they not seeing what Jesus is doing? This is the last healing story in Mark's gospel, but it's also the last time he calls a disciple. The last time Jesus recruits a disciple in the gospel of Mark, it's Bartimaeus. And last week we looked at a story about two disciples. It was James and John. Let's go to the next slide because we're going to compare these two stories. Next slide. There we go. Last week we looked at the story of James and John where they come up to Jesus and they asked him if he'd do anything for them that they want. They're like, we'd like you to do for us whatever we want. And then as the story plays out, it becomes just abundantly clear that James and John have missed the point. Let's see the the points under James and John. There we go. So they're the disciples of Jesus. We want you to do for us whatever we want. And it just becomes clear they're not interested in following Jesus. And we're left wondering, how can these guys, how can these disciples who've been following Jesus for three years, how can they be so blind? How are they missing it? In today's story, Mark flips the script. We meet a blind beggar named Bartimaeus. He's an outsider. 
completely stripped of dignity at the end of his rope. He has no reason to really know Jesus or recognize Jesus. All he can do is sit by the side of the road and cry for help. Jesus comes to Bartimaeus and he asks him, what can I do for you? Don't miss this parallel between these two questions. It's really important. Last week it was the disciples asking Jesus, what can you do for us? This week we've got Jesus going up to a total stranger, an outsider, and asking, what can I do for you? And Bartimaeus says very simply, I want to see. Jesus heals him. Bartimaeus throws off his coat and he follows Jesus. He becomes a disciple. Do you see the parallel here? How it's flipped? The person you don't expect to see sees. Guys, there's hope for blind disciples. There's hope for us when we miss the mark when we screw up, which we're going to over and over again. Uh, there's hope for us when we're out in left field, kind of doing our own thing, trying to make it on our own. Uh, there's hope for us when we fail miserably to follow Jesus. There's hope for churches that mess up as they often do, as we often do. There's even hope for these 12 nitwits who are following Jesus right now. <laughs> These guys who are going to desert him, Bartimaeus is going to desert Jesus in a couple of days, along with all the other male disciples. Not the female disciples, but we'll get to that. There's hope for blind disciples. All we have to do is acknowledge our blindness and ask for help. Cry out to Jesus and say, I want to see. Help me see. If we can do that, if we can return to Jesus, seeking to follow him, we're going to find our eyes opened, our dignity affirmed. We're going to be invited to participate in our own transformation and empowered to work toward the healing of others because there's hope, you guys. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you've been through, no matter what you've done, no matter what you're distracted by or what's blinding you, there is hope. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. All we have to do is acknowledge our blindness and Jesus will help us see. Let's pray. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. Lord, help us to see. When we get distracted, when the cares of the world blind us to what you're doing in our midst, where you're calling us, Lord, help us to return to you and receive sight. God, help us to find hope in the prayer of Bartimaeus. Hope that affirms our dignity, that calls us to the path of discipleship, and invites us to be participants in this faith journey. And Lord, above all else, help us to hold fast to you and to channel that healing to others. Amen. Thanks for listening. 
If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.